Kenny, did did my um, over talking on the sticker thing get in the way of getting the opportunity to talk about vodka? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. You hate so to I gotta, see I, it. You hate to I, see I gotta, it. I got to dial it back a little bit, man. I really need to talk about vodka on this show about how much I hate it. I've never done that before. Hey, everyone. It's episode 237 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm Kenny, and here's some of the news. You know, we've been keeping up with the talks of the trade war going on. And however, President Donald Trump and his French counterpart, President Emmanuel Macron, have agreed to hold off on the escalating trade war. And this is now avoiding what would have been a massive tariff increase on French goods such as wine, cheese, and handbags. Trump had threatened the new duties in retaliation for a tax slapped on revenue earned in France by American tech firms such as Facebook and Google. The two sides will hold off on potential tariffs until the end of the year, as French officials have said, and negotiations over the digital tax will continue at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. A 25% tariff is still remains intact and in place due to separate trade disputes related to Airbus. Numbers are starting to come in for visits to distilleries across Kentucky. And Sazerac, who is not a part of the Kentucky Distillers Association, has released their numbers earlier this week. The distillery ended 2019 having a record-breaking 293,996 visitors during the calendar year. This is a 35% increase in visitation over 2018. And as you know, there is currently a $1.2 billion investment going into everything around Buffalo Trace, including producing more whiskey, but also expanding the visitor center. The expanded visitor center will be utilized to exhibit more distillery archives, and as the expanded space will back up to the recently completed Fermenter expansion, the visitor center will have a backdoor access to the whiskey making process, allowing for new and updated tour routes. The expanded space will also supply another place for event locations for hosting evening parties. Now for this week's podcast, this roundtable touches on a lot of good subjects. We look at the stock of MGP as it continues its downward trend and with our thoughts on how this is gonna play out for them. Then we talk about sourcing in general, and if the consumers, you and I, are getting oversaturated with some of the same products that we see on the bulk market. And stickers, it's always a fun subject. However, this week, there was one that got released that got national media attention. And does that mean that distilleries are gonna start cracking down on them? Who knows, we'll find out. And then we congratulate Old Forester on the revamp of their barrel program, while we cap it off with our most annoying bourbon terms. Are you interested to see what sort of barrel picks we have going on? Well, right now we are still set to select an Old Forester, Whistle Pig, two Buffalo Trace barrels, two Four Roses barrels, and a new Rift barrel this year. We're aiming to do somewhere around 20 barrels this year, and you can get in part of the action as well. Not only just getting a chance to have a bottle from the barrel pick, but you could also be on this selection team. Go to patreon.com slash bourbonpursuit and you can learn more there. All right, you've got Fred Minnick with Above the Jar. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. Last week in my Above the Char, I talked about smoking the grains uh, before distilling them and how that is changing the character and the flavor profiles of bourbon, really all American whiskeys. And I asked a question in the barrel finishes, we bring up a stink as to whether or not those are really bourbon. I asked, 
should we start asking ourselves, are the smoked grained bourbons also bourbon? Now, they technically meet all the qualifications, but there was a time in American whiskey history in which they tried to dictate what types of grains were used and where they were coming from. So the question is, because smoking the grains changes the character so much, it, it, it takes a big right or left-hand turn on Kentucky bourbon. Should we open that up? And we got a really good email from Jason Lambert. He's the lead distiller at Cayman Spirits Company in the Grand Cayman. Says he's a big fan of the show. Thank you very much for that, Jason. And he uh, he says, when you think of bourbon, you often think of this as tradition and history. But when it comes to smoking grains, I think of industrial kilns were mainstream and most all malts were smoked to stop germination. In this respect, a smoked bourbon would be welcomed with open arms so as long it is properly labeled. However, this would open a Pandora's box to include grains like the smoked corn you discussed about MB Roland. But again, I should, um, I think these should be accepted as long as it is very clearly labeled. Now, Jason brings up a great point, and I think that is always my main concern is that consumers are not deceived. And that's what has happened in a lot of uh, whiskey labeling is like somebody will follow it to a T and then someone else will take advantage of, of the equity that that one person has built and do something like dump uh, a gallon of sherry in there and then call it, it's a sherry finished barrel. It's a sherry finished blend or whatever. And, you know, when it comes to the smoking of the grains, I just want to be, I just want to make sure that consumers are protected. And the fact is, is that people will do things uh, that they can get away with. So as long as people are, you know, making note on their labels that they're using smoked grains, I don't think we have a problem. But the minute that someone comes out and is pumping mesquite smoked or peated bourbons into the market without notifying the consumer that's what it is, um, that's when we have a problem. Because what will happen inevitably, someone will taste that product and then not like it or like it, and they'll expect that's what bourbon is supposed to taste like. And you have to remember that when we talk about consumers, we're really talking about you know one or 2% of the consumers, people who are not necessarily engaged in, in whiskey at all. We're definitely not talking about people in this podcast, but when people are arguing for class action lawsuits that somebody was deceived or something, they find like a, a small amount of people to, to prove their case. And that's what I'm talking about here. I imagine someone going to some some place like Walmart that's a where it attracts everybody and they grab a bottle of what they think is bourbon. They go home and taste it and it tastes like smoke or it tastes like peat. Uh, or, or something that deters them away from buying another product of bourbon because what they think of in their head as bourbon is that smoke flavor that they didn't like. And so they go back to Crown Royal or vodka or gin or whatever it is, never giving something like Evan Williams a shot, even though Evan Williams doesn't taste anything like that smoke product that they dislike. And therein is what why Jason has hit the nail on the head when he talks about, it's all about labeling, and trying not to deceive the customer. And as long as we have upfront labeling, I'm always going to be okay with just about anything. As to whether or not barrel finishes are actually bourbon, well, that's a debate for another time. But 
I can tell you, 1955, things like Four Roses of today and Buffalo Trace, they were not even cons- the, the way they are made today would not be considered bourbon in 1955. And that's when the barrel entry proof was the, the legal uh, maximum was 110. So even though we have some rigid standards in American whiskey, it's always evolving. What American whiskey looks like in 10 years, who knows? Maybe mesquite smoked corn finished in sherry barrels is the standard. I don't know. But I do know that I'll be here to taste it. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you'd like to write me and tell me what you think about Above the Char, uh, maybe I'll read it on the next episode. Shoot me an email or um, hit me up on Instagram, at Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000 do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. And tonight we are having Bourbon Community Roundtable number 40. And it's also the first Bourbon Community Roundtable of 2020. So welcome back, everybody. Glad to have everybody here. Yay, we made it. What another up? year. So uh, pretty much we got the, the whole crew here tonight. So Fred, Ryan, Brian, Nick, and, and Blake as well. So how's everybody doing? Doing well. Doing well, Kenny. Start to the new year. Just fantastic. I'm excited <laughs> about this. So excited. Uh, and, and for anybody that's not able to 
if you're just if you're in the car, you're just listening or something like that. Uh, Ryan has finally got a new background. He's he's finally stepped up and he's got a whole new house renovation. He's got bottles behind him now. I know. I'm like halfway through. Uh, you can maybe see if I get out of the way. Uh, running out of shelves. I have another one next to me that's empty, but uh, yeah, I'm only halfway through and I'm running out. I should have went bigger, like Kenny said, but I don't have any more walls. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one thing is as we start going down and when people ask, they're like, hey, can you send pictures of like your your shelves or uh, anybody have ideas? And as soon as you have an idea for how big your shelves need to be, just triple it. Yeah, because always, always triple. <laughs> Because that's exactly, I mean, even double is not going to get there. But so when you think you need shelves for your bourbon, just triple it because that's what's going to end up happening. Yeah, or just liquidate. I've been like giving, I'm like, somebody comes to my house, I'm like, here, take this bottle. <laughs> bottle for you, bottle for you. Go, you I know, know where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in Kentucky. <laughs> oh, so I'll give Come you on another, over. Anytime. I'll, give you, I'll give you a funny story. So this past Sunday, uh, my wife kind of went on a, a, a cleaning spree and went down to the basement. And you all know my basement. And I know many people have seen it on social media. I mean, it's just littered with bottles and just crap everywhere. And she's like, this has got to go. I probably ended up dumping out probably like three bottles worth of whiskey of just like samples of like 100 ml and 200 ml samples of just stuff that I'm like, it's, it's stuff that's all like from distilleries that wasn't very good or underage. And I'm just like, I'm never going to drink this. I don't know why I'm hanging on to it, but there's a little piece of you that just dies every time you're sitting there just emptying it down the drain. Yes, I did. Actually, I had a bunch of media sample bottles and I just dumped them into a decanter. We'll see what happens. <laughs> it's your infinity bottle. <laughs> yep, exactly. I already had one infinity bottle that I never touch. And then I was like, well, it'd be a great idea to create another one so I don't drink it and let it sit there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah, it is. All right, so let's go ahead. Let's go around the horn real quick. So Blake, we'll start with you. Just go ahead and do the usual. Yeah, I'm uh, Blake from bourboner.com, uh, B-O-U-R or b-o-u-r-b-o-n-r it's it's been a while you know i almost forgot how to spell the name so glad to be back these are always a lot of fun to do so yeah you can check me out at all social medias um you know instagram twitter facebook as well as sealbox.com that's s-e-e-l-b-a-c-h-s i'm nick from breaking bourbon breaking bourbon.com check us out uh at on uh social media all at breaking bourbon and uh so I'm not going to spell it for you, like like Blake. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to screw it up and embarrass myself on uh, live here. But uh, yeah, you guys should know it by now. Breaking Bourbon uh, again. Glad to be here, guys. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Happy to be for the first one of the of the new year. Uh, Brian with Sipping Corn. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Sipping Corn. S I P P N C O C O R N. See, there I go, Nick. You can't even. <laughs> spell your own name anymore um and uh, and also see me at uh, bourbonjustice.com let's start getting into some of the topics for tonight and so one of the one i, I kind of want to look at is uh how breaking kind of made stag jr famous <laughs> because <laughs> it, it was it was one of these things that's like stag jr has been around it's been around forever and all of a sudden they came out and say it was their whiskey of the year in 2019 batch 12 and never, at least correct me if I'm wrong, never before has Sazerac ever put out a press release about a new release of Stag Jr. And now all of a sudden people are just going crazy for it. It's just I don't even know if the initial release of Stag Jr. got a official press release. <laughs> <laughs> Much less batch number 13. Yeah, I didn't even know they had batches. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But. 
Can I jump in? So I was going to share this story earlier, but so I was in South Carolina this weekend when we hit a few stores, just see what they had. Three different, no, it was one bar and two different stores. They were like, well, you know, we did just get the George T. Stagg Jr. I don't know if you know this, but it was just named Whiskey of the Year. And I'm like, no, no, don't trust those guys. (laughs) (laughs) It it was gone off of shelves. And the guy was like, yeah, you know. Uh, one of the employees grabbed it here because it was just named Whiskey of the Year. So uh, I'm like, dang it, break-in strikes again. <laughs> you all have a meeting with Jim Murray, you know, at the yeah. board. Oh, <laughs> no. yeah, I, I, I wish somehow it, it's like it's like a catch-22 because like in a way it kind of it kind of hurts us too to do something like that because it's generally not insanely difficult to get here i mean it's not on the shelves all the time but it shows up i mean if you're in liquor stores as much as we are um you're gonna see it you know it's gonna be out you're gonna have a chance to get it you know and so when when you do something like that you know you always think about the impact of you know are people gonna lose their minds about it but the flip side of that is is you know it's kind of nice to have something that's just kind of a regular release you know they're not all gonna be great i don't think you know there's gonna be a Elijah Craig barrel proof. That's fantastic. There's going to be a larceny, you know, barrel proof. That's, that's fantastic. You know, that kind of thing, you know, so it's that idea that kind of these regular releases that we get something really good once in a while, we don't have to necessarily hunt the, you know, the crazy stuff that everyone's already going to go nuts for, no matter how good it is or not, you know, that you might just stumble upon, you know, a really good batch or, you know, really good run of single barrels or something like that. So that's, what's kind of exciting about that. But yeah, the catch 22 is it probably is going to be a little, Difficult to find for a little while, at least, although, you know, it'll probably taper off and be able to find it like you did before. If you know the know the liquor store guys and you're getting in your area, um, I think it'll still show up, you know, a couple months from now. So one of the benefits of never deleting an email is that I have been able to trace every single uh, Buffalo Trace uh, press release. And I found the original one, the original George T. Stagg Jr. Uh, or the Stagg Jr. Bourbon uh, press release. July 25th, 2013. <laughs> and I did not find um, any other follow-up releases. So this uh, this is the first uh, based on my inbox, which is a very well-kept, never-deleted inventory of all Buffalo Trace press releases. And I remember the first, either the first one or the first couple of those were just hotter than all hell. I mean, they were just Unbalanced. Yeah, the first just, couple were, yeah. yeah, terrible. It, yeah. Terrible. One of the, one of my lowest rated bourbons, and everyone was super excited for it when it came out. Yeah, I think everyone thought it was going to be the you know the George T. Stag, just a little younger. Really, it's pretty much should be the same thing. Otherwise, just maybe not quite as developed. But that one was pretty bad, and that one kind of turned us off from it for a little while. Of course, I have three bottles of that batch one, but uh, <laughs> you know, so it's been a little while. We've had it here and there. You know, this one kind of popped up, and um, Eric was the one who got it first, and he was just going on and on about how great it was. And then we had it, and we were like, "Wow, that's yeah, we're gonna start buying this again now." Um, you know, so just uh, yeah, I think there's gonna be hits and misses. They're not all gonna be they're not all gonna be home runs, but um, this one was pretty good. And from what I hear, batch thirteen is pretty good too. And from a lot of the comments, people, I don't think people did realize there were batches. You know, if you're not a diehard bourbon enthusiast, I don't think you're necessarily noticing that the proof is different and it doesn't say batch anywhere. So you know, I think Buffalo Trace maybe realized they could educate people a little bit better 
you know, kind of talking about that there are actually different batches of this, you know, like, uh, for example, Heaven Hill does with their, you know, how they're identifying their batches now. Right. Who knows? Maybe they'll switch to doing something like that. Maybe they're just going to try to get people on their website and do press releases from now on. You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Everybody I'm actually what? not opposed to like the, the, the announcement of a new release like this. If anything, it helps, uh, it helps in a lot of ways, kind of like chronicle when these things are coming out. It gives you you little nuggets of information because let's face it, um, we are at the liberty of what information they want to divulge to us. We're very fortunate that someone like New Riff or Heaven Hill will tell you answer any question that you want, but Buffalo Trace doesn't. They they don't uh, tell you everything, and so like to get any kind of like real like actionable information from some of those distilleries that don't give you information is always uh, a plus. You know, it's the funny thing is uh, there's one question that came in and said, how many people in the round table do the news earlier and guilty of insider trading? You know, for me, I don't even know how this was on your all's radar because stuff like, you know, stag junior EHT single barrels or, um, I mean, even even a lot of, I mean, thankfully, Heaven Hill sends us a lot of the samples for every release of the Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, so we have an opportunity to taste it. But a lot of times, like a new Stag Junior thing, just it's just not on the radar for me to go and search out along the liquor stores. So, well, they're just, gone anyway. They're not on any shelves here. It's uh, like Louisville's a different scenario. Uh, yeah, kind of scenario. No, I think it kind of compiled in with the you know Weller releases, Weller Twelve, where people have to camp out for it. So I'm like Stag Junior, no thanks, not camping. Are people camping out for Stag Junior? Yeah, or they just do like they just well they bunch it in with other stuff. Just yeah, it's part in. of the raffles and the lotteries and the releases. Constellation. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's it's part of the long line scenario. Maybe not the camping out, but at least a two hour wait sort of scenario. Mm. That's bourbon for you. Fun yep. stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go ahead. Let's move on to to something fun. <laughs> well, maybe not fun. Uh, fun to talk about. You know, this is something that it was an article that came out at Barons.com on Friday. And talked about MGP is now posting its third uh, loss in a row. Sorry, uh, third quarter loss in a row. Uh, on Friday, the news came out that the stock had actually lost 24% of its value. And it's currently, I just checked it before we started here, around $38 a share. Uh, its high was back in around June of 2018, where it peaked around $95. And it said, at least within the article, that it made a bet on aging whiskey. And that was really to, the, uh, to blame. And really, it was a failed bet at the end of the day. So I want to kind of look at the finance guys over here because you all know what this means about, you know, trying to hit numbers, uh, not posting or not meeting your your expectations, or your results. So what is this to you kind of say about the current market of maybe craft distillers that maybe don't need to source as much whiskey anymore? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's actually pretty telling, uh, you know, if you dig in a little bit, they, they dig into the, like the... Uh, you know, the price to earnings ratio, all this other stuff. And really what it comes down to is I don't think MGP is getting the prices for their aged whiskeys that they wanted to. They thought that they could just kind of, they were controlling the market. They could demand whatever price they wanted. And, you know, but you also have a lot of these other distilleries. You've got Bardstown Bourbon popping up. You've got some other, you know, Castle and Key, who's doing a lot of contract distilling as well as just some other places around the country. You've got a lot of Dickel bourbon that's popping onto the market. So um, I think they were just thinking they were in the driver's seat and are kind of getting proved that they weren't. Uh, You know, what that means for a stock forecast, I don't know. That may be a little tough, but um, 
Ultimately, I think they're going to have to bring the prices down some. There's still an extremely high demand for MGP whiskey, but uh, as I think that MGP probably thought that they would be able to release their own brains with a little little bit of a better result, and they haven't really done that. You know, uh, what's the the Remus, and then well, they had the um, the one that oh shoot, what's the old master distiller's name that they released under his name? Metz, um, Greg, Met, Greg Metz. Yeah, Greg Metz select, but then you know that after he left, I assume they didn't carry that on. So I think between the fact that they haven't been able to release their own brands with much success, um, and then there's other stuff popping on the market where you know brands and smaller craft distillers they're looking to source, they have more options now. So I think that's the big thing. So let's analyze what MGP is. MGP for years has been a supplier to people who were seeking craft spirits uh, or distilled food, basically distilled distilled alcohol used for food. And in 2016, they hired uh, Gus Griffin as their CEO. Gus Gus comes from Brown Foreman. He's not from that kind of... Brown Foreman certainly had its like... Uh, it, it played in the source market, don't get me wrong but not to this extent. And that facility in Lawrenceburg, Indiana had been used as a blending agent for years in Canadian whiskey and American blends. It was never uh, a place to to do its to have its own whiskey until Pernod Ricard sold it to LDI or Angostura and they started selling stuff out into the wholesale market. Uh, they saw so much success with this. Unfortunately, LDI could not, could not survive, so they had to sell to... Uh, MGP. MGP saw so much success with the, the source market that they said, hey, why do we have all this great whiskey? And hey, you taste a honey barrel from MGP and you tell me it's not great. It is fantastic whiskey. And they're like, why don't we do our own brands? So they bring in this guy from Brown Foreman, absolutely perfect position, ready to go. Here's the problem. The company's infrastructure had always been built around um, the wholesale market or the trade industry or other distillers and helping other other brands. They had not successfully done their own brand. They didn't have the sales infrastructure. They didn't have the marketing teams in place. They had some here and there, but they did not build brands. And so in 2016, they shifted their gears and they started let, letting go contracts. And they started saying, hey, you're going to have to find another source for your whiskey because uh, we're, we're cutting back. And here we are. We're, we're, we're basically seeing the results of, of a fantastic distillery not being supported by, you know, something that we always talk about that we hate in marketing uh, and sales reps. So that without that infrastructure there, you can see the results. And it, I, you know, the stock market is not like real life, but it's an indication of what, uh, what happens. Yeah, I mean, I also think when you look at this as a as a distillery going into this, you want to be able to buy whiskey and and have something that you can kind of buy and then sell almost overnight. Like that, that's kind of the goal that a lot of these people went with. And now, when even I mean, Ryan and I, we've been down this path. We've talked to MGP. Like the most that they really sell to people like us is like four year old product that they have with a thirty six percent rye. If you're buying a lot of thirty or buying a lot of four year old product. That means you're banking on betting your whole business on aging MGP stock. And so that doesn't necessarily play into the uh, the long-term category of a lot of distillers where they say like, okay, we're going to get this to get us over this hump until we can actually start 
selling our own whiskey. And so most people, unless you're, unless you're trying to build a business where it's MGP all day, every day for the rest of eternity, then it's going to be hard for, I think, to, uh, to, to keep selling some of these younger stocks. I, I think that's right. I also think, frankly, Indiana has something to do with it. I mean, they've, they caught some bad press with Templeton and everyone referring to it as, oh, it's just a, a, a whiskey made in a factory in Indiana, and they can't call it Kentucky bourbon. And everyone knows when Indiana's on the on the back, that's where they got it from. And it's just a brand trying to make make it go until they can sell their own. And in the meantime, you've got brands stocking up on that can call themselves Kentucky bourbon. And you've got IJW locally in particular with all kinds of warehouses that are full of bourbon. And they, they'll have that cachet that MGP just won't. And I, and I half wonder if it's the market figuring that out. Also, you got to think about it too. OZ Tyler has a lot of stuff on the market. Uh, Bardstown Bourbon, uh, which uh, uh, Blake mentioned earlier, Bardstown Bourbon Company's got a lot of stuff out there. I mean, the market is almost in about one or two years. If you're starting a brand, it's a buyer's market, you know, because a lot of these people are going to be, um, you know, desperate. So they've also heard rumors. There's not anything I can confirm, but so there's been some really strong, major blue blood distillers that are starting to say, well, you know what? Maybe we sell some of this two-year-old age stock that we have in tanks. So you're starting to see some Kentucky product open back up on the market. Well, you know, the old Barton stuff that's 12 and, you know, to 17 years old remains there for a hefty price, as you well know, Kenny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, as Kenny was alluding to, or talking about, you know, us being in the source market, it's hard to... You, I think MGP's actually built a name for themselves, especially for the rye whiskey and uh, the older bourbon. I think, I think if you carry the rye whiskey, a lot of people will give you a, a benefit of the doubt because it's damn good rye whiskey, probably the best out there. But the problem is, is their pricing. It's you can pay a thousand dollars more for a aged, you know, product from Tennessee or or Barton's, and uh, then a four, you know, a four year old. MGP and it's like what you know and when you taste it, it, it it's just it's hard to you know invest that kind of money for uh, that young of a product and like Kenny said you're you're banking on you know aging that stock and whatnot so uh, I don't know I think they're they're getting squeezed by Bar Barber Company like others said and uh, Castle and Key and um, yeah I think that's just all part of it and you know they it's adapt or die so they'll they'll figure it out I'm sure. When they shifted their business plan, they left the market open and people took advantage of it. The only way that they can correct this, um, you know, to get themselves back in place is to flex their muscle. And I, I would really I would really say that they should spin off their brands and they should go back to servicing, you know, the craft market because they were so good at that. And their their infrastructure is set for it. And the market accepted it. You know, we can all say what we want about those class action lawsuits and everything, but no one was ever really bitching about the whiskey. And and and, and that's that's telling you something. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. When you do that too, you're really putting the marketing in a lot of other people's hands, and and you don't have to bank everything on your own strategy. You know, you're going to get some great ideas from from some really inspired people by doing it that way. And I think that's what's built up their name to this point because there's certainly an enthusiast group that's, you know, followed these brands that are, you know, probably built from enthusiasts themselves that have sourced 
MGP to get started, you know, done really well with it. And I think that's built such a strong name for them, you know, in that group. And then just by and large, there's a lot of people out there that I don't think they care if it's MGP or not. They just care if they feel somewhat connected to the brand and, and they like the whiskey enough and, and that's it. And it's just about getting distribution to the right places. So I think that makes a lot of sense, Fred. Um, you know, I mean, maybe this is, you know, it certainly could be in a, a bit of a glut here. Everyone's producing like crazy. You know, we're seeing whiskey come to market a lot younger, you know, than it, than it was. Each statement dropped off a lot of regular everyday products. We see it on the limited release stuff, of course, you know, but uh, is it to the point now where it's just gotten that much harder to compete and people maybe overproduced a little bit? you know, compared to what the, what the projections were. And Nick, you bring up a very interesting point. You know, we always talk about the glut, but the, what, the thing that's different now is that there's this whole lifestyle and tourism impact that American whiskey has. Jack Daniels is enjoying it. And so like, if you're a fan of it, you can go to Jim Beam, you go to Maker's Mark, go to Buffalo Trace and have the experience of your life. Mm-hmm. No one's going, no one's going to Indiana. So, nope. you know, that's, that's right. a, that's a component there. And I'll say this about MGP. I hope that they stick with it because I think that's a good company. Um, They just, you know, we all make business mistakes. I think this was a business mistake, but I do not want to see them sell. I think they have the passion for it. I do not want to see this get in the hands of Pernod Ricard or Diageo or someone like that who's just going to turn this into a churn and burn place without any um, attention, you know, to the whiskey in, in American American whiskey hands. And, and I don't want to see it be sent off to for, for blending purposes again. The world got to taste that whiskey, and the world said, we like that whiskey from Lawrenceburg, Indiana. And the people have spoken. Here, here. <laughs> so while we're also on the, on the source whiskey path right here, you know, as we start looking at the scene of more and more bourbons coming to the market, there's only a, a limited supply of sources that things are coming from. And this is one that, you know, we all kind of talked about before on the show. I mean, are we starting to see that the bourbon market is now being oversaturated with brands? Um, because, and, and don't get me wrong, we're probably <laughs> part of the problem too, right? We're part of the problem too. Now, however, like it's, it is becoming to the point where there is a lot of private label stuff out there. Um, I just saw somebody released one called Blue Ribbon Bourbon, uh, which is a revitalization of a label that was a 12-year-old Kentucky bourbon. Uh, about a week or so ago. And I think we're going to end up seeing more and more of these uh, in the next probably few months, few years, something like that. So do we see the oversaturation of the market starting to happen? Well, I, I was I was wrong about this about four or five years ago. And so I guess I'm not, I'm not going to be reporting on the demise or the, the bubble being popped just yet. I mean, I, I thought four years ago that I'd be buying someone still out of bankruptcy and I'd be be uh, able to have my own little distillery on the, for a side hustle. That sure didn't happen, obviously. And if we can get past tariff issues and if we can get past trade issues, there's so much capacity overseas that it'll it'll soak all this up and we won't notice a blip here, despite all of this production coming out. Um, so we just, uh, I have to think it's going to keep pushing. And I guess I would say, you know, from a, from a production standpoint, there's there's a lot of it, you know, where it's going to get consumed, it's going to grow. Um, almost just from a pure, like different brand standpoint, pure number of producers out there. You know, I think there's probably plenty of them out there that do not necessarily have a passionate person behind them. 
you know, there's a lot of money in it right now. You know, there's plenty that do have passionate, excited people behind them. I think we're going to see, you know, a, a percentage of those succeed, you know, but they're fighting for shelf space on a limited number of, you know, uh, in limited number of retailers. You know, they've got to go through the distribution system. Um, you know, there's, there's ways around it, of course, um, to some extent. But yeah, I think the reality is, is I think if you flood with, flood with just too many different brands, there's just too much noise. And I, I think we're going to see a challenge for, you know, just an overflow of these uh, to succeed if they don't have the driving force, the passionate people behind them, you know, kind of that uh, gumption to, you know, to stick with it. I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily a quick money play, you know, per se, the same way it may have been, you know, five, seven years ago. At this point, I think the competition's a lot tougher. Um, and so you got to pull a little bit more into it. You got to have something special. You got to bring a destination into the mix. You've got to, you just have to do more. You're not just going to be able to bottle something, put it out there and have nothing behind it and succeed. Yeah. Well, I think, I think with the sourced, you know, I mean, obviously, like Kenny said, there's a few sources that people get it, but the, the refreshing thing about the sourced aged market, it's comes with an age statement, like nothing else out there is really coming with age statements. And, you know, that's one niche they can hang their hat on. It's like, okay, we can give you 11, 12, 14 year old, you know, whiskey and you can't hide age. You can't, there's just, you know, five, six, it's fine, but um, when you get 11, 12, 14, there's just something special, unique you get with those types of bourbons and still, and we're whiskey geeks. So we notice these brands, we know where they come from, but the general public, they have no idea. You know, they're like, Oh, any idea about this brand? Oh, it's 12 years old. You know, they've been producing forever. Right? <laughs> they opened up yesterday. Yeah. And so it's, um, you know, as us, we probably think, yes, we're like, Oh, how ridiculous can there be another 12 year old, Barton brand out there, but uh, the general public, I think, doesn't see that. They just see that age number, 12 years, and uh, they get excited about it. I guess the other question that kind of comes with this is we all kind of know what happens when you buy a bunch of stuff. Uh, it ends up running out, right? It, it'll go dry. So what do you all kind of see as like some of these brands that are hanging their hat on putting that big number 12 of Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey as their brand? When we know here in maybe a year, maybe six months, maybe it's two years, I'm not too sure, but this will run out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough to say because I'm I'm kind of with Brian where, you know, probably four or five years ago, I thought eh, by 2020, we'll see a glut. Nobody's going to care about this stuff anymore. And I'm going to pick up, you know, maybe not Pappy, but at least like well or 12 or something again. But the demand has increased even faster than anyone expected. So um, I think people will stick with brands, even if age statements are dropped. I mean, look at Elijah Craig. Granted, that's a massive company behind it, but they've gone through it. Look at, you know, Jim Beam eight year, uh, the black label that they've gone through it and seems to be no issues. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of these things are just blips on the radar radar and it's a marketing thing that they have to figure out even when, you know, you hang your hat on an age statement and you have to drop that age statement later. Um, the, ultimately, what I think it comes down to is, is the is the whiskey good? And, you know, it's easy to get stuck on a age statement. If it's good, people will drink it, people will talk about it, and, you know, it, it'll continue to grow. So um, I don't I don't see any signs of slowing down, even with the, you know, it, there's going to be a huge flooding of the markets in the next five to six years of bourbons from new distillers that have been, uh, you know, aging for a while, as well as other 
major distilleries that have just increased production over the last six to seven years. As long as bourbon is cool, people keep buying it. Mm -hmm. You keep it cool, Fred. (laughs) (laughs) I doubt that. (laughs) For sure. So, you know, as we start looking at, you know, bourbons come on the scene there's one thing that we always also see that that happens in this world of bourbon and that's uh that's stickers if you're anything like me then you can't get enough about bourbon and that's why i'm a subscriber to bourbon plus magazine bourbon plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon the farmers who grow the grain the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase. And go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today, shopify.com slash bourbon. So, you know, as we start looking at, you know, bourbons come on the scene, there's one thing that we always also see that that happens in this world of bourbon, and that's uh, that's stickers. And there's one that uh, the recording of today is Monday, and there's one that just kind of... Uh, get real big real fast and this was a play you know one thing that i always loved about new riff is somebody does something about riff something and so riff patino a play on rick patino is one sticker that kind of uh got big on bourbon today uh and what this does is it depicts a a kind of like a two-face of rick patino uh you got uk on one side U of L on another they have uk holding up a trophy and they've got a bunch of uh U of L players throwing dollars at strippers on the other side. And this got so big that it got picked up by Kentucky sports radio, which is a very large uh, syndicate here in the state uh, that then got picked up by Bar- barstool sports. And in the barstool sports article, it actually talked about how it was coming from the distillery, right? It didn't say it was a private group. It didn't say it was a pick it like it said new riff. I'm sure they love that. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, any publicity is good publicity, but like at what point, or I don't know, maybe how about practicing a little journalism? You know, I call me, call me old school, but, uh, Hey, how about we actually call the company that's associated with it? You you could call somebody for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of this, 
I, I feel like New Riff is is an enormous victim right now, and it, it just it, it it drives me crazy because this ha- this has been happening. I've been covering this business for you know 14, 15 years, and all it, it's never happened this egregiously. But like a, a brand really got damaged today. It there's no question about it that someone saw that article and is going to have a bad opinion, uh, or saw the tweet and is going to have a bad opinion about New Riff for the rest of their life. And they will not have taken the time to follow up to see, you know, what the real story was. But New Riff got damaged today because somebody uh, made a sticker and put it on the bottle and made national na- national trending news, wh- whatever you want to call it. But, you know, they're hurt from this. Or, or are they hurt? I mean, they uh, sure they're, they're hurt. I mean, that's but they're getting press on this. Folks who had never heard of this small distillery in Northern Kentucky now know about New Riff, and they're going to hear a lot of response to yeah. the tweets about, oh, New Riff is actually, you know, get, get, the, get the New Riff. I mean, this is a fantastic single barrel. Um, well, I, I don't think anyone, actually most people, you know, in the way the world goes with this stuff, it's it's going to be the one thing that someone clicks on and then they're going to see a cat and they're going to go to something else. So I, that, I don't think there's any kind of real value with any kind of trending topic. I mean, there are m- multiple studies of somebody who comes up with something, you know, clever on Twitter and then they don't, their Twitter followers don't grow. You know, they get 30,000 retweets and what have you and their Twitter followers grow by 20 or something silly like that. And, and then the fact is, is that within the Kentucky community, you know, they're already kind of an outlier because they're in Northern Kentucky. They're not in Lexington or they're not in Louisville and they're not in Bardstown. So they're an outlier as it is. And, you know, this sort of thing puts them in kind of like a weird position in the state. And it, it, it has made state news. It's been tweeted by Matt Jones. And so everyone sees it. And, and all anyone had to do was pick up the phone and call the distillery. And then this the whole thing could have been like, hey, this barrel group is doing this, using this. They just pick up a sticker. Now, it's free speech, right? And the distilleries can't dictate to anybody what they can do to the bottle after it's been purchased. The same way that Nike can't dictate to you what you do with a pair of shoes that you pick up, you know, from shoe locker or whatever. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to spray paint shoes. I mean, it was probably stupid at the time, but I did it. No shoe company was coming after us to, you know, that we couldn't spray paint our shoes. And that's really what it is here is that you have to, you know, practice some, some, you know, some common sense of say like, hey, is this a good idea? Does this pass a smell test? And I I, I think this, this whole thing has, um, it could be the one sticker that, you know, puts the whole you know, takes the fun out of all of this. I mean, and honestly, a lot of people don't like the stickers. I loved them. I loved looking at everybody's stickers. I like getting on social media and seeing people's posts about it. I thought it was great. And, and this one, even if, um, I mean, I, it, it was too far. It was too far. Which, I think this helps me riff actually. Which, I think it makes it cool with younger people and that's I, where I bourbon's right. growing. And, uh, it looks like, uh, cause most bourbon brands are like, old man kind of like real old school kind of thinking. I don't know the barstool sports, you know, they have a lot of millennial, most you know, followers and that's where bourbon's growing and that's the future of bourbon. And I think they'll probably think it's cool. I know it probably drives you crazy, Fred, but uh, that's what they love. They love like, I like and tweeting and all this stuff. And 
I get that. And I, and I, I watch Barstool Sports. I listen to the pizza, the guys' pizza reviews are great. Um, and I just, you know, this is just one where I don't know. I just, uh, I would have to agree with Fred where I thought this one kind of went over the line a little bit on, on a sticker, but, but the press was fantastic. You know, it's, it's, you can't pay for that kind of, um, that kind of viral effect. Um, but wasn't, wasn't Ken Lewis, the one who on the, on bourbon pursuit said he didn't like the stickers and is like, you know, I, I understand people are free to do whatever they want, but we put a lot of time and effort into those bottles and, um, we prefer that then they stay the way they are. You're right. It was Ken Lewis on this podcast that said that. I, I and I think he's the only, the only you know owner I can really think of who's talked about that. Now, granted, New Riff gets way more just because of the the punniness of the the name, way more stickers and craziness than other ones. But overall, you, you know, it definitely hit an audience. But I mean, I don't know. I I can't condone putting strippers on your bourbon bottle that's just a little far for me so and here's here's another side okay so like again that that audience that's getting touched is not going to get converted for new riff it's just not they're not going to take the time to go seek out a bottle if they do they're going to do it in jersey where the bottle's not available and so if you do want to find a bottle go to sealbox.com for all (laughs) listeners so i mean just shoot a quick link in the show notes (laughs) nice i like it this is the whole setup, you know. No but what? This but this is this is a this is a trend that that social media has brought that uh, a lot of people uh, do not appreciate, and that's the social responsibility aspect of 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 alcohol. There are actual laws about what can be put on the bottle, and there are actual laws about what the distillers can promote. Yeah, putting a stripper on the bottle is 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 within many violations now obviously new rift didn't do that but i have seen multiple bourbon groups uh have a um have their child hold a bottle and you know quickly those things often get taken down but people don't practice they don't they don't look at they don't look at the bottle as like some kind of um regulated you know piece of real estate and you know, and these kinds of things are going to end up hurting the the distilleries, the community, the hobby, all of it. Because we're all the the bourbon world's already under, you know, every uh, attorney general in the country is already looking at you know these secondary markets as like some kind of like easy press release for them to take down and arrest arrest Joe Schmo in a parking lot in Pennsylvania to like pound their chest and say like, Hey, look at us. We're taking down illegal, illegal drinking and illegal selling. And so, you know, we don't need this kind of uh, activity happening because all it does is it puts a, it puts a bigger bullseye on the entire industry. And it just frustrates the shit out of me that people don't get that when it comes to like having their kids next to alcohol when it comes to these stickers, when it comes to anything. And the fact is, at any given moment, like Facebook or whoever could just snap and it's all gone. It'll pop up in something else, but it'll be gone in that particular medium. And that is where, you know, the, the stick, that particular sticker is in that same kind of category. It's right there. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about stickers plenty of times on the show before. And, you know, whether it's, you know, you want to commemorate something or whether it's a, 
an opportunity for you to pay homage to somebody. I know we've seen people that have like had Freddie on the bottle before. I know there's people or Freddie on the sticker. Uh, you know, there's a lot of fun things that get played with it. Um, this just happened to be one that blew up rather quickly. Um, and only because I think it, uh, it had a, it had a little sensitive subject around to it, but you know, that's, uh, it's it's Kentucky and it's basketball at the end of the day, so maybe that's just why it started really sparking a lot of I think it's Rick Pitino's fault. He should have never went to freaking Louisville, and this would never <laughs> happen. I mean, what the hell? There's just there's no restrictions on the rivalry between Kentucky and U of L, so that that that's part of it, and that's that's why it's on. That's why Matt Jones is is tweeting it, and that's why it gets on Barstool Sports, but. It, I think overall there there's there's obviously the risks, Fred, that you point out. I think overall it'll end up being fine for New Riff. I think what it's going to do though is it's going to call the attention to all the distilleries be, uh, about what goes on these these stickers for the private groups because a lot of them use trademarked images. I mean, there's plenty with I, with Marvel comics images that are are trademarked images. There's 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 just free use of anything out there that are protected marks, and the distilleries are going to have to have some responsibility for that. I and absolutely I dis- I disagree with you on that because right. once it, once it is bottled, it is going to the distributor and it's being sold through a retailer. So the 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 um, to, the the responsibility on this. It, is going to be on the retailer. If they are putting that sticker on there at the distillery, there's some liability there, I would assume. Yes. Yeah. It's wherever that sticker is being placed. Yeah. That's where a lot of them come on. I mean, I know some that go on, on post sale, but a lot of them go on at the, at the distillery. They'll give them the sticker and it goes on there. That's going to be restricted. Now, once it gets into, into the group's hands and gets whatever stickers on it, that can still be trademark infringement, but you're going to have to go after the group for it, which will yeah. be next to impossible. So if it's if it's Disney trying to protect a Marvel mark, they're going to go to the distillery and say, you need an agreement with whoever does private selections that they will not be using any infringing marks. I wonder what Rick Patino thought when he saw it. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's good publicity, he says. Yeah. yeah, he's like I just can't get away from the stripper gate thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know he he's he's probably you know he hasn't did he sue anyone with all the coverage that he got? I don't oh, think you he know did. he will probably. No, I don't think I don't think he will. I think he's just trying to get another job. And to be honest with you, if the Oklahoma State job pops up, I pray <laughs> to God that he goes there because we could we could use a winning season. Anyway, uh, th- th- this whole thing is. It, it, it just kind of like plays into a whole nother, um, you know, conversation to be had about, you know, what is, you know, what, what is the standard of, I guess, being cordial, you know, we've lost in, in an overall society. We just, we just put pictures up of people and, 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 and laugh, have a good laugh at it. And yet we have 12 year olds trying to kill themselves on a daily basis because uh, they're getting made fun of online. It's like at some point in our society, we're going to have to take some, um, some responsibility for what we're posting online. And this is, this is a part of all that. It's a greater conversation, but um, you know, it's sad. It's sad that it, it it's accepted 
and people just go on with it and have a good laugh. But the fact is, you know what? My grandpa wasn't doing this, uh, you know, when, when they were trying to, you know, create a, you know, basically rebuild this country after World War II. And, you know, and here we are. And it's just kind of like, this is what we're, this is what we do on a daily basis. That's it. You want to change the mood? Gonna change the mood, maybe. <laughs> yep. Go a little, go a little lighter. That's a good device of subject. I feel like the, you know, the the round table game will solve split. every problem. Yeah. If we just. Yeah. All right, let's move on. I think we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> that went. I'm ready. That went deep. So you know, as we are talking about private barrels and you know private picks and stuff like that, you know, I think there's one, and I I think, uh, or actually, Blake, before we can get onto that, I think you had a had a sticker prediction for for 2020 as well. Did you want to? Kind of really yeah yeah kind of to piggyback on that a little bit I, I think there's going to be a brand or distillery that comes out and says you know they can't control it but they will be very boisterous kind of how the van winkles have been about the secondary about uh you know no stickers on their bottles um like we said you know if the bottle comes untouched gets in the hands of a customer you know, my six-year-old can color on it. I can throw a sticker on it. It doesn't matter. But a lot of times when these things are getting advertised, I think they could stop it. And, you know, somebody put it in the chats. That's why Sealbox puts the sticker just in the box and doesn't put it on there. But I, I think there's going to be somebody else who comes out and says, you know what, we, we don't like that. And we'd prefer that, um, you know, people not do this to our bottles. And, and they're a little more outspoken about it. So I think that's coming, especially after today. You, you think that's but it's new, new riff, Blake, or you think um, somebody else? I, I mean, they already kind of said it. I think it's new riff. I mean, you think about the the major ones who are getting stickers, uh, new riff, Willet, um, a lot of Buffalo Trace picks. You know, Buffalo Trace, Wellers, all that kind of thing. Uh, Willet seems to be okay with it. I, I don't know. I've never seen them have an issue. I've seen them do some distillery releases where they have stickers. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be new riff, you know, especially after this backlash, um, that, that does say something, um, you know, some people kind of get the fun of it and others, you know, to his point that he made on the podcast, it was, we put a lot of work and design effort into this bottle. We'd prefer that it stays the way it is. Um, so, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see what they're able to get away with because, you know, they can't. They can't dictate free speech. Well, I'm very much uh, in opposition of of poor taste. Uh, I also support free speech. And, you know, if when someone gets that bottle and they can put whatever they want on it. And I think the only thing they could probably dictate is say, you can't, uh, we will not be putting this label on the bottle. And if we catch you doing it, we are not going to resell to your group. I think that's about the extent of it. And honestly, I think that would be the biggest deterrent of all. If they said, look, you know, we're just not going to let you do another pick if this is how the bottles are going to be treated. I I don't think there's anything wrong with that legally. You know, they're allowed to choose which groups they allow to, to buy barrels. Um, so I don't know. It'd take a little bit of the fun out of it. I mean, I know we had some fun with our Wilderness Trail pick, so... It, it does add some fun, but um, overall, I think it's going to, if it continues, you know, they'll have to at least acknowledge the fact that they're not associating with with a lot of these stickers. I mean, it, th- we can all, you know, prevent all this by just, you know, 
practicing common sense. Act right. <laughs> That's way too much yeah. to ask these days. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when we started, What what is bourbon? Bourbon is drama. Yeah. So that's, that's what yep. it's all about. Yes, it is. Always has been, by the way. So as we as we continue this theme of talking about single barrel selections and stuff like that, there's there's one that's sort of leading the pack and kind of made a, a big splash this year already. I know we're only in January, but the biggest news was that Brown Foreman is now coming out with a barrel proof and 100 proof option for their single barrel program of Old Forester and will be retiring their 90 proof version. Uh, this all is going to come into effect around the May timeframe. That kind of begs the question, what's taking everybody else so long to get on board with this? Gosh, I applaud them for listening. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Brown Borman's like just, they are like nailing it on all aspects the past like two, three years. They've just been doing great releases at great prices, like putting out ever since Jackie's joined. It, I mean, it's just, they've been nailing it out of the park and they're listening to fans they're doing everything like i commend them so much like it's it's incredible i've done an old forester pick at barrel strength it's absolutely incredible you know and it's uh, i'm so excited for this unfortunately our pick will be at 90 proof because it's not before uh <laughs> where it's before may so uh but gosh way to go brown foreman like talk about a company that listens to people and and then listens to their fans like i, I applaud that Absolutely applaud them. I mean, that's on those barrel picks. They there have been some of the best straight out of the barrel bourbon I've I've had hands down, and uh, we've been crying for it for five years. And maybe it takes that long, but we we finally have it. So I'm happy. Yeah, I put this in a post today about I've never been that huge of a Brown Foreman fan for over the years, um, but they're honestly I think they did better than any other distillery I can think of in 2019, really the last couple of years with their whiskey row re- releases, you know, the, the hundred proof rot or the straight rye that they released. That's like 23 bucks a bottle. And now this with the, the barrel picks, what does every single person say whenever they go to do the barrel picks? Well, will they let us do it at barrel proof? And the answer is no, you got to water it down to 90. You got to water, you, you know, 107 or it's something. too hard to do. We got to do a TTB filing. Uh, yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> no, and, and I mean, they just continue. I, I thought the Old Forester birthday bourbon was fantastic this year. So, yeah, I mean, kind of hats off to them. I think they're they're crushing it with the whiskey crowd right now or the, you know, the enthusiast crowd at least. Um, so, I, I want to get in on their barrel program now. <laughs> like, who do I need to call on that one? But no, I'm excited to see what else comes out of there because we know they have a lot of good barrels sitting. So um, it, it should be a lot of good barrels to come. So a little breaking. Go oh, sorry. Go ahead. I heard breaking news. So <laughs> yeah, hey. let, let, let the man talk. <laughs> kind of sorry, Fred. Kind of to that point, uh, uh, Blake. You know, I, I think you know, talking about the enthusiast crowd. You know, you got to wonder if if distillers are looking at it as a real small portion of the community that does really want that and is going to be impacted by that, and you know, look at it as from a cost benefit that maybe it's not there. You know, but that kind of listening to the enthusiasts, and even if it 
you know, these single barrels at barrel proof only do get into a small number of hands, you, know, you got to wonder if they're looking at kind of that spiral effect of, you know, if that kind of then trickles down from there to just people's association with the brand. Um, so kind of talking to everybody, you know, the enthusiasts, I think we're relatively speaking a sp pretty small group, you know, when you look at what really sells and where the numbers really get posted, um, but we're a pretty vocal group too, I think. And it's great that they're listening and uh, making their products better. And yeah, I mean, across the board, when you have those picks and you're there and you're tasting out of the barrel and it's so good, then they water it down and it's and it's not the same. It's it's a shame to know that it's going to be watered down and they're basically going to ruin what's otherwise a fantastic bourbon. Well, and so, well, I, I wouldn't go to ruin. Sorry, Fred. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to hear what you say, but I've some it's of even good. watered down. Some of those old Forester private selections have have been fantastic. Sorry, well, Fred. I, I just mean I just mean in general. You know, yeah, sometimes I, I'm with you. Barrel proof. It's fantastic. Watered down. It's just not anything near where it was. Yeah. You know, it's really those, and it, actually, some taste better uh, with water than they do at barrel proof. You know, and it, so it's kind yeah. of kind of funny how that goes too. All right, go, Fred. All I was going to say is because of everything that she has done and is continuing to do and her um, her effort to find herself, uh, we're putting Jackie's icon on the cover of Bourbon Plus. Ooh, hooray. Issue. Fantastic. So she, if you guys... Uh, I she beat me up. You're, you're going. I know we should probably put that up to a, a more community vote next time. I believe. So <laughs> I think Jackie's going to win every day of the week. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the photography on her is is amazing, but the story is about her. We know about the whiskey side, and that's there. But on the personal side, she's she fought like hell, and um, I got to tell you all when I tell you that. Every single great thing that is happening on the Old Forester line is in large part because of Jackie's Zykin, but also, you know, who she would say is her partner in crime, Campbell Brown, the president. Campbell deserves a lot of credit for taking a brand that was kind of like forgotten in the world and giving it the love and attention that it deserved. And that's a good Brown Foreman yeah, Campbell is on it. Sharp dude. He he's done They've done amazing things since he's joined. So that's a good, great point. Yep. And, and I guess kind of like last question that we do as we kind of wrap this up is, you know, as we see Brown Foreman come out with this barrel proof single offering, and I know that the eyes are on one company uh, now that everybody kind of looks at and it says like, okay, we love, we love to taste your stuff at barrel proof. We want to see a barrel proof offering. I mean, is it, do we actually see this as a change of the bourbon consumer market? where more people are actually opting to actually want to have barrel proof expressions rather than saying like, okay, well, I'll just take this 94 proof counterpart because that's all you're going to give me. Haven't we always been there? Well, <laughs> we have, but I mean, now you see the, the, them actually starting to adjust to maybe some market reactions. Yeah. Well, the, single the, barrels the are great... for like really for whiskey geeks. It's not for the general populace. Um, so, I mean, but the general population, they even think 94 proof is fucking hot as hell. They're like, you know, they even like 86, they're like, oh my gosh, it's so hot, you know, but uh, <laughs> Dude, I don't know. I think so. But, I don't know those oh, people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I, I mean, Ryan, I come across those people. I, I'm, I'm there with you. Yeah. yeah. What has happened is, is they finally have uh, listened to the data and, and, and listened to the people who are out in the market saying that new consumers... 
and women and people who are wanting to, you know, to drink uh, in a sophisticated fashion want higher proof. And I, I believe it, you know, Peggy No Stevens has played a big, big role when she handed over the bourbon women's research that women preferred basically bookers uh, as the as their drink of choice in the like everyday that you can find in the in the market. And so when they started seeing that data, they're like, oh, well, we all need to kind of, uh, you know, create, you know, something else, you know, that's a little bit more meeting that demand. That timeline of that research also was when uh, bookers increased their pricing, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, but it's just nice to see that I, you know, for years we have said that they, they, that the distillers don't listen they do listen. They just create a new brand and jack up the price at a higher proof. You know, so that's 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 what they're doing. So this is a little bit of like be very careful with what you wish for, because suddenly you're going to get larceny barrel proof and it's not that good, or you're <laughs> going to get or you're going to get something like a four year old Jim Beam at cash drink and it's like you're 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 drinking out of the gasoline hose or something. So we. Cash drink doesn't mean it's good. It means it's high in proof and you can bring it down to how you want it. And that's yeah. really what it comes down to. But the general popular, anytime you like drink with somebody that's not been in bourbon, what do they, what do they want? They want smooth. They want to be smooth. They, it's that they yeah, want smooth. Word. And, you know, that's the word. And so I hate that word, by the way. I do too. It, they, but, it's the, but that's the general word. population. They don't want it to burn. They want it, you know, easy drinking. They want that's so. I think they'll still that'll be their main focus, but it's nice for us geeks that they are uh, putting those. You know what the hot when I when I taste test with uh, consumers, you know around the country, you know what the hot one of the hottest bourbons that they find, um, and this is this is odd, but they they Jim Beam White Label is the hot. You know they every single time they taste. Oh my gosh, this is this is not as smooth as that one, and they'll point at Baker's. You know, so I'll do like a flight, <laughs> flight of random stuff, and um, it in ones obviously like twenty seven proof, proof points higher, and you know, smoothness is not necessarily proof, and that that's the problem. We we lack a we lack an education across the board. Smooth just kind of gets thrown out there. You get these liquor distributor reps who don't know, you know, two shits from Sunday, and they're just trying to meet their quotas, and so everyone's pushing you know bottle cases and. You get then you get a big giant stack of Basil Hayden in a store, and you have somebody want to play, you know, paper football through it. Which, <laughs> that's an Instagram post, by the way. <laughs> uh, but what is, what what is smooth? There is no definition for smooth, and you know, so that's the result. Higher proof can mean good. It can mean shit. Who knows? All right. Well, now, and, now go ahead, Ryan. And, and one one comment. I have been loving the comments tonight. I mean, I, I've been cracking up on some of them you've been putting on there, Kenny. And these are great. And for the life of me, I've I've tried to log in, and I, I think I got kicked off of the uh, broadcast when I tried to log in, so I could actually respond to some of them. But uh, my bad on that. But great comments, everyone tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And so while we kind of finish that up, that, that kind of makes me want to do one more question. Uh, what's the most annoying term you find in bourbon? Because smooth is up there. <laughs> juice. Juice has to break at least my top three. Crotch shot. Yeah. 
I'll, I, when I think when I hear brown water, I just I think of toilet water. It's not appealing. <laughs> I don't think I, I think bourbon should be as far away from brown water as possible. Two very different things. Tater. Uh, oh, who said tater? I said tater. Well, why don't you like tater? It's just it gets annoying yeah. after a while. It was cool for like a year. I feel like everyone's just it, it's like oh if there's someone new to bourbon oh it's a tater it's like okay like not everything that you dislike about bourbon is tater activity so yeah one thing so, I still love is shelf turd I, I'll that'll never get old <laughs> I love yeah, that one. I, I do like that shelf turd is good we're so, gonna see a sticker shelf turd oh, <laughs> I love it. My least favorite term in whiskey, this is going to shock everybody, uh, most likely, is angel share. Angel share is a dreamt up uh, word or term or phrase in a marketing room um, that essentially had been, you know, something that had been tracked, um, you know, since the 1500s for tax purposes. And that's the evaporation from, from the barrel. But Eulage or uh, shortages, or actually in the 1800s, they called the angel share outages. And, you know, those are not sexy terms. So uh, I hate the term angel share, but I, I still use it because people understand it. I think I hate fermentation tank because every distillery thinks their <laughs> fermentation tank is special and it's not. And they spend so much time on it. What like, about if they use a Cypress? Fermentation no. thing from a hundred years ago. Yeah, Yeah, these things are getting cleaned and everything else. But also, I'll I'll throw out adding a bunch of Z's to anything. Um, <laughs> that's you know the pappies, the bourbons. Yeah, drop that one as well. <laughs> Good deal. I love leaning on something like that. So uh, awesome. Uh, Nick, someone said marzipan. marzipan. Uh, you know what? Listen, it happens to be a note that I that I picked up, and and the only reason why anybody knows about it is because uh, on this podcast before I joined, Ryan's sitting across from me. He's like, "What is marzipan?" I'm looking at him straight in the eye, and I'm like, "Are you serious? You don't know marzipan?" What you get when you let a redneck host the? But that was that was funny. I had no idea until that moment that that was something that people kind of like clung to, but. Yeah, it, it's funny. Like if you go through like my tasting notes, there's actually not that many that I've noted marzipan, but <laughs> enough, I guess. Someone needs to do a study. Yeah, I don't think I've ever, yeah. I don't know if I've ever had marzipan, or at least it's been a long time. There's somebody like you, Fred, that saved every review you've ever done with the you know like the stag juniors you did, and they're gonna go back and find it. <laughs> yes, they probably will figure out what was that first time he used marzipan. Yep. Nail down the date. All right. That was fun, guys. Awesome roundtable tonight. It was uh, it was a pleasure to kind of go and, you know, we hit a lot of uh, a lot of good topics tonight from everything from Stag Jr. to MGP and then Source Whiskey to Stickers and then even more, uh, more single barrel selection. So as we kind of round this one out, I want to give each one of you an opportunity to say where people can go and find more about you and read your books and your articles and buy your bourbons and everything like that. So, Brian, I'll let you go ahead and go first. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, great time tonight. You can find me at all the all the social media, sipping corn and bourbonjustice.com. Have a great night, everybody. Blake, why don't you go next? Yeah, so I'm Blake from Bourboner. Um, you can also find me at sealbox.com. We do have 
fun announcement coming later this week. We did a roundtable pick that uh, we'll be releasing to everyone most likely Friday. So um, be on the lookout for that. But once again, guys, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun and it's, it's good to be back in 2020. And I'm Nick from Breaking Bourbon, breakingbourbon.com. Uh, find us on social media, all at Breaking Bourbon. Uh, thank you guys for having me tonight, uh, despite some of the mic issues. Uh, hopefully we got that worked out, Kenny. But uh, yeah, thanks again and look forward to a lot of these um, into 2020. I'm sure we'll have a lot of exciting things going on this year. Um, and we'll be right back again talking about how great a year it was. It's going to feel like it was yesterday. So thanks, guys. Absolutely. Cheers to that. And uh, make sure you follow Fred Minnick on all his social channels. Follow Bourbon Pursuit everywhere as well. And uh, Bourbon Pursuit's also on TikTok now. You can go find us there. So TikTok. Yep. All the 11 and 15-year-olds are there. <laughs> hey, we're trying to figure out how we reach new audiences. This is we're good for the future. Is that a Bourbon Pursuit? I thought that was just Kenny doing dance moves. Yeah. Like, I wasn't sure if this was affiliated. I'm or... not. We, me and Fred are totally independent of this. Disclaimer about Pursuit Series. We disclaim <laughs> that we are not involved in this uh, endeavor. Yes, Just wait uh, until me and him have a little dance going on. And you'll yeah. be like, we need to, we all need to get on to this now. Yeah. But in your defense, you did set it where you have to be 21 to follow you on TikTok. So talk to you. I try to do Fred, always looking for the legal issues. There you go. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> all right. Well, cheers, everybody. Thank you once again. Uh, if you want to help support this podcast, you want to actually watch us live, be a part of it as well. Patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit. We appreciate all the support from all of our Patreon followers out there and supporters. It's uh big help to this and, and keeping this continue to grow and if you can also leave us a review rate this podcast.com slash bourbon go ahead do there and you can leave a review in spotify itunes or Podchaser. so with that cheers y'all and we will see you all next week cheers cheers, cheers. good night everybody